Hello everyone, how are you? This is Kathy Barnett. I am running for U.S. Senate, but all of you guys know that now, don't you? <laughs> and that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. We cover Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties. And they've got a very nice note just before going turning the microphone on from a reader who says thank you so much for covering stories we don't see anywhere else and the person responsible for that magic is the lovely and talented linda stein our news editor linda how are you i'm great thank you very much michael Uh, and as you know all my compliments are always insincere which is good because so are my criticisms so it all it's all a wash it all works out so we're going to do an interesting podcast i think because we're going to go from super national to super local. Coming up in a few minutes, I chatted with Jim Garrity. If you're interested in Republican politics in the United States, he's a must read. He's the political lead editor reporter at National Review, which is probably the biggest conservative uh, uh, news journal website, whatever it is now in the modern era, uh, probably the biggest name, the William F. Buckley uh, uh, publication. And we talked to him about how the Pennsylvania races, particularly the U.S. Senate race, look to Republicans around the country who are trying to figure out which way the party's going, how things are likely to turn out in November and then in 2024. So that conversation is coming up in a mere moment. That's kind of up at the 30,000 foot level. But Linda, you've got some reporting for us from the super local level. You were at Kathy uh, Barnett's uh, headquarters, which is right here in the Delaware Valley yesterday, talking to real live local people who are volunteering for her campaign. And you wrote about it at DelawareValleyJournal.com. So first things first, when you walked into Kathy Barnett's campaign office, even as the you know, the political missiles were flying, I mean, she was getting attacked at from the New York Times down to the, like the you know the local uh, newsletter. What was the mood uh, of her volunteers and supporters? The volunteers are surprisingly upbeat, and they take everything that the quotes media throws at her with a grain of salt. I, I, based on reading your piece, which one's going to recommend at DelawareValleyJournal.com, it was several grains. You might even say it was a shaker full of salt. What kind of folks were there? Young, old, uh, you know, what, locals? Um, they were all local to the Delaware Valley. They were uh, middle-aged people. Um, were they, did they seem like experienced campaign pros or was it, you know, let's go help out our, our, our neighbor? Um, none of them seemed to be experienced campaign pros at all. They were all volunteers. Uh, the one woman I spoke to, Kristen, said this was the first time she ever got involved with politics at all. And she had heard Kathy speak uh, at some event near her house in Plymouth meeting. And she liked her so much, she decided to volunteer. And there she was filling boxes uh, with these palm cards right. that get handed out to voters at the poll on at the polls on election day. Uh, you also uh, just recently spoke with Kathy Barnett. How is the candidate herself doing? Well, she is putting up a fierce defense, and uh, basically, she has reasons and explanations for everything that they're throwing at her. And uh, she even uh, turned. Uh, President Trump's slam against her into uh, her favor. So <laughs> there you go. Well, it was interesting because in, uh, I'm paraphrasing a little and see if you agree with me, but basically the foreign president's message was Kathy Barnett can't win 
in November in this climate. She needs to be vetted first. And I believe she's a, you know, can be a good candidate. And one day in the future, she's going to be great. But if you vote for her today, you'll lose in November. That was kind of his message. And, and she says right back to him that she's looking forward to working with him on Wednesday after, <laughs> after the election. That's <laughs> uh, a good line. And uh, she was one of the candidates who participated in our Delaware Valley-based U.S. Senate debate, where we invited just the candidates who are from this area to uh, participate. And she was uh, very comfortable behind a microphone, not surprising for a Fox News uh, regular guest, et cetera. Um, has there been a, a uh, an attack that you have found talking to her supporters or people who want to vote for her, et cetera, that people that gives them the most pause? I mean, you, you had this interesting conversation about her, her military history. I think that's largely been resolved because the paperwork has been released. You've had bizarre qu- questions about where is her address? You know, does she actually live in Huntington Valley, et cetera? Is there anything that that is you, you sense is causing people to uh, to rethink or to at least pause for a moment? Well, I think people are somewhat concerned about old tweets that were dredged up, um, tweets regarding Muslims, tweets mm-hmm. regarding uh, homosexuals, and. Um, her answer for that was it was a different time as far as the Muslims went. Uh, President Trump, President Obama was letting in right. unvetted Syrian refugees. So it was back then. And his own FBI director said that um, there was no way to vet them. Mm. So, you know, that was her explanation for that. Meanwhile, then, you're on the front. Meanwhile, you're on the front line of the race overall. Uh, because we get press releases, phone calls every day from the other candidates. Uh, Dave McCormick is certainly not bowing out of this race, either on TV or on the campaign trail. He was out with Senator Ted Cruz yesterday. Uh, Dr. Oz, not slowing down a bit. Uh, Are their campaigns active in the Delaware Valley? Uh, Sure, they're active. Um, Ted Cruz was uh, just here yesterday for uh, Dave McCormick, as you mentioned. Uh, in Harleysville. So that's certainly the Delaware Valley. Um, the TV ads that you've seen, if someone asked you who lives in you know, whatever, another state, hey, what's it look like on your TV these days? What would you say, Linda Stein? I would say, let it be over with now. <laughs> but you can change the channel, but another ad will be on the other channel. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, uh, not a lot of folks in the governor's race since uh, Attorney General uh, Josh Shapiro is essentially running unopposed. The U.S. Senate race, based on the polls, is looking that way. But as we all know, as every candidate says, the only poll that matters is the one on Election Day. Uh, But uh, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman seems to be in a pretty strong position, and he seems to be pretty popular in the Delaware Valley. Yeah, a lot of people seem to like uh, him. Um, I've seen a lot of signs for him. A few for uh, Connor Lamb as well. I have not seen any for Malcolm Kenyatta, who's in third place, though. Um, And Fetterman is supposed to be here tonight in Hatfield at, um, I believe it's a uh, a beer place. That seems so So, out of character for him. Why, yes, it does. Several of the people I've spoken to plan to vote for John Fetterman specifically because he favors legalizing pot. 
Well, you're obviously hanging out with the right people, Linda Stein. This is what this is. This is a sign that a reporter knows her sources. And that's that's good. Good to hear. I have one last question for you. Uh, you watched uh, Kathy Barnett run for Congress just two years ago. She uh, lost to Madeline Dean in Montgomery County, which, you know, Montgomery County, even in the, you know, blue trending southeastern corner of Pennsylvania is extra blue. So it's not a surprise that a, a conservative Republican wouldn't do well. But do you see any difference in the candidate, the tone, the message? How would you describe what you've seen thus far comparing the two races? Oh, I think uh, Kathy Barnett is uh, pretty much the same person in both races. Um, and you're right, Montgomery County is trending very blue. Um, so I really am not sure how much of a chance any Republican would have had. So, and she did try very hard. That's for sure. I just think uh, what I'm going to be watching for is uh, how much primary voters are focused on the November election, you know, trying to pick the person that they think can draw the most non-Republicans, you know, independents, you know, Democrats. And on the flip side, too, there's an argument to be made that John Fetterman, who's, you know, kind of uh, Bernie Sanders style politics, it, you know, might be harder for independents who maybe don't want to vote Republican, but they're like, eh, I don't know. You know, so that's the argument that uh, the Connor Lamb campaign has made explicitly in their TV ads. You, know, you want to win, win in November. And is that going to carry the day or are people more polarized and they're saying, look, I I'm either whatever I'm on the left. I'm a you know, liberal Democrat. I'm on the right. I'm a Republican. I'm going to vote for the flavor that is the most me and we'll sort it out in November. It'll be interesting to see. Yes, it will. And it'll also be interesting to hear what Jim Garrity, uh, political senior political writer at National Review, has to say about our race as well. So I'd love to tell you what a delight it is to have Jim Garrity on the podcast, but you've heard him on his own. So, you know, I would be lying, but no, seriously, Garrity, thanks so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it. No, Michael, it's good to hear your voice and uh, <laughs> always like to, to see what's going on in your world. Well, all I'm asking is that we don't have another Mastriano event where I ask you a question and you slam down your headset and end the uh, podcast. So let's try to get through that. I'm also hoping you won't mention the Jets a single time because I listen to your three martini lunch podcast every day and I... Every time I hear the word Jets, I want to stab myself in the eye with a fork. Um, I want to ask you not about Pennsylvania politics from the Pennsylvania side, because Delaware Valley Journal covers that. How does the Pennsylvania race, Senate, governor, the state in general, look to Republicans and conservatives at a national level? Are they pulling their hair out and clutching their eyes like they're, you know, like a train wreck is coming? Well, yeah, yeah the short answer is yes. And <laughs> I, I think the Republican, for Republicans outside Pennsylvania, Pardon me. For a long time, this was a state that was really tough to win, and the only Republican who could seem to win statewide was Arlen Specter, um, who is. I'm sorry, I'm confused. You know, I thought you said Republican. Yeah, so I mean, you know, me non, and eventually left the party, but you know, the pro-choice, extremely moderate, um, you know, basically barely a Republican was all that you could do. And then, right around 2010, there was this sudden shift. Actually, it's worth going back to 2004. Pat Toomey challenged him in the primary and probably would have won if George H. Uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney had not given full-throated endorsements to Arlen Specter. Right. And you can find a lot of conservatives who thought that was a mistake. Um, 2010 rolls around. Specter votes for the stimulus under Obama, and he basically, you know, uh, breaks his ties. Real looks at the polling numbers, realizes that Toomey is going to trounce him in a Republican primary, 
And he says, okay, I'm switching to the Democratic Party. And there are a bunch of Democrats who don't love that idea. And I believe it was former Admiral Sestak who ran against him, right? And then, right. you know, Toomey beats Sestak in the primary. Toomey becomes a, you know, particularly on fiscal issues, a very conservative senator from a purple state. Um, he did have a uh, form of compromise on the gun issue, the Toomey Mansion uh, background check bill. Um, from, you know, Toomey has never told me this, but I get the feeling if you're going to run as a Republican in Pennsylvania, you need to have one issue in which you deviate from the rest of the party exactly, so that you can say, look, I'm not a party man. I'm my own guy. I don't always agree with everything else Republicans do. Look, Bucks County suburbanites, in this form, <laughs> I appreciated a, there's a particular form of, of gun control that I am supportive of. I'm broadly supportive of it. But in this case, I thought these background checks made sense. It did not pass. Uh, the NRA, which had previously spent a ton to endorse Pat Toomey and to get him elected back in 2010, was kind of livid about it. Uh, one of the few times you've ever seen a knockdown drag out fight between myself and my good friend Cam Edwards. Um, but you know, Toomey ran, got reelected in 2016. He, uh, when Trump was winning the state, interestingly, they won different ways. Um, Trump really ran up the margin in the uh, Western Pennsylvania, white working class, right. folks who probably had voted Democrat a lot in their past were, you know, attracted to Trump. Those folks did not necessarily jump to Toomey, but Toomey did much better in those Philadelphia suburbs and Bucks County and places like that. So mm -hmm. it demonstrated there's actually two ways for a Republican to win in uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. So which of those two ways do you predict Kathy Barnett will win the if, general if election anything, if she's the a Trump, nominee? Yeah, it, it would be the Trump path. And she is a I wrote about her in today's morning jolt. It's not quite posted as of this recording, but by the time people hear this, it probably will be. And let me know up right there, uh, nationalreview.com. Absolutely. And I do recommend against my better judgment, the three martini lunch, three martini lunch podcast every afternoon at ricochet.com. Excellent. So, you know, I, I suspect Barnett, um, she's come under an enormous amount of attack. She kind of came out of nowhere. She was seen as this long shot candidate, a outspoken conservative pro-life conceived by rape uh out you know adamant you know testament to the power of life type republican who came out of nowhere and now the race is effectively a three-way tie between herself dr oz of oprah fame and uh dave mccormick the you know former hedge fund guy who had previously worked uh in the trump administration in a not terribly high profile position so you had this 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 three-way race and it looked like it was going to be mccormick versus oz trump endorsed oz a whole bunch of Trump fans in the state are like, no, like I, I, one of the points I'm making today is, Joel, uh, Michael, is that you've been a conservative for a long time. I've been a conservative for a long time. My guess is most of the people listening to your podcast have been conservatives for a long time. And maybe you think back to the pandemic. Maybe you think back to the fights during the earlier years of the Trump administration, Obamacare, the Tea Party years, maybe going back to the Bush administration um you, you know go or clinton care maybe even back to the reagan years in any of those fights michael can you remember mehmet oz ever being there when you <laughs> needed him i just wanted to point out to everybody that uh jim garrity spent two years covering politics in from turkey where you got to actually yeah. cover mehmet oz voting on a well, regular okay basis. i did so not actually but uh yeah you know, <laughs> But you yeah, were in yeah, Turkey, right? He was right? the celebrity doctor on Oprah. And I didn't, you know, I didn't give a hoot about that stuff. <laughs> but you um, were but yeah, in Turkey. Interestingly, he did vote. I think it was, was it 2018 was the year he, is, you know, he voted in, which is not that long ago. Uh, and he did not vote in the Republican primary that year. And so people have given him some grief for that. There are a bunch of reasons to not vote for Mehmet Oz. I guess you consider this an anti-endorsement on my part. 
Um, but I, I, primarily for me, it's that he's been a Republican for about 20 minutes. I don't think you can call him a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. I don't care that he's been endorsed by President Trump. Those endorsements don't mean any. You know, I don't. I, you know, I, I think Trump just recognized the name, or there was some talk that Melania likes Mehmet Oz or something like that. But like in the end, you know, I believe at some point you should consider not just does this person say that they're a conservative now, look back at their past record, and you know, by you just can't say Mehmet Oz has been a conservative or done anything. Uh, now, maybe you can say, you know, you don't like any of the other candidates either. Um, by the way, uh, McCormick, you know, the, the, one of the knocks on him is he's a hedge fund guy. Right. Um, and then in a year, you know, it's good. looks like it's going to be a good Republican year, but there's going to be this populist discontent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the likely Democratic nominee, Fetterman, looks like he's in a biker gang, um, but he's actually a Bernie Sanders type. And so yeah, one of the interesting things is the stakes here. So you think of Pennsylvania being this purple state being this state that doesn't lean too far one direction or the other, you wouldn't expect a Bernie Sanders type to end up representing that state, but that could well shake out if Republicans don't get the primary right and don't come together behind the nominee and don't do well in November. And that's six years of dealing with a Bernie Sanders type who looks like he, you know, You've seen his face at the post office on the wall under a wanted sign. But at the same time, you're also looking at six years of maybe having somebody who's very Trumpified. And even though mm-hmm. President Trump carried the state narrowly in 2016 and lost the state, you know, narrowly in 2020, no one would just call Pennsylvania a Trump state. It's not South Carolina. It's not, you know, Idaho. It is, yeah. And so this is what's interesting. Uh, Amy Walter over at the Cook Political Report has a piece out as we talk about how the electability argument isn't working. So I want to ask you two questions about, once again, the view from outside this race. One, what does the fact that Trump's endorsement of Oz didn't send his voters there, but you could argue kind of created this three-way opportunity. They don't want McCormick. They definitely don't want Oz. And so they, they switched and started looking for someone else and ended up with Barnett. And two, is Pennsylvania teaching the rest of the country a lesson about the lack of power of the electability argument? Yeah, that's a really intriguing question because I think, I, I do think there's something interesting in that the, the Mehmet Oz endorsement being a bridge too far for Trump's base. That, on, you know, we saw with J.D. Vance, it can, it can have an impact. Uh, it didn't have as much of an impact in the Nebraska governor's race. It doesn't look like it's going to be, Brian Kemp looks like he's going to win the Republican primary handily down in Georgia. Herschel Walker, I think we can say, is a very famous guy, <laughs> very well known and beloved by people in Georgia for winning the national championship, uh, not necessarily for, you know, because of the Trump endorsement or something like that. Um, but I think that the Trump endorsement clearly has a limit to it. And I, of these three, I think McCormick is the most electable, but I can see why people might say, eh, hedge fund guy mm-hmm. running up against a guy who looks like he just stepped out of a, you know, Hell's Angels uh, <laughs> gang. You know, that, that the populist vote could go. I, I could see that. I, I, I could hear that argument. That makes sense. Um, Barnett, I think, you know, it has surged. And, and this, I wrote about today. Some of the questions about her background have been made. I think she's released not her DD form, but enough forms to verify, yes, she was in the U.S. Army Reserves. Yes, she... Uh, was discharged, you know, it was honorable discharge and all that stuff. I've been able to fill in nice. some of the banks of uh, blanks of her business background. It's the but, Islam and same sex stuff. That's yeah, the, I mean, you know, that's she, the she killer. She got a lot November. of stuff on social media. 
that's not going to hurt her in a Republican primary. Nope. But, you know, the, those suburbanites in Bucks County and everywhere, she's going to seem like a maniac. Why do you leave um, out our Chester, Delaware and Montgomery County suburbanites too, yeah. Jim Garrity? What is, are you in love with Bucks County? Uh, my in-laws live there. Ah, uh, well, they, I they have see, as much connection. Revealed, One of the things Oz talks about is his parent, his uh, in-laws living there, which is great, fine, you know, but that doesn't, you know, for a long time he was, you know, taping his show up in New York and lived in New Jersey. So people really kind of argued about, you know, how much does that, ironically, Barnett on the back of her book, which was published in 2020, I think Selena Zito, by the way, who's the, a phenomenal reporter. She asked, she put a whole bunch of really basic questions to the Barnett campaign. Uh, you know, when you were, what year were you accepted to officer candidate school? What is your hometown? What years were you at? The, what school did you teach at? And they were told, well, these are personal questions and she's not going to answer that. No, <laughs> these are basic <laughs> biography questions that any candidate for Senate has to answer. And you don't get to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm preserving my right to privacy. No, no, no. You're running for public office and you're running for public office heavily based on your biography. It's not like Barnett has this long legislative record where you can look at all the votes she's taken. So you got to lay out that kind of information. Now, I, as I mentioned, in today's morning, Jolt, I could at least put some years to her various employers and stuff like that through really extensive online searching and stuff like that. I believe she does live in the state, or at least there's an address that's registered to her under her maiden name. Mm -hmm. um, so most, some of this stuff checks out. So this may just be a very disorganized campaign, which is mm -hmm. not good, not a good indicator for the general well, election. Uh, I don't think she's making up her life story. I don't think so, she's a grand, I don't think she's Stephen Glass, you know, right. something <laughs> making up. Yeah, you know, she is who she, she largely is who she says she is. There's mm -hmm. just questions about, details and highly among them like she said she voted for trump mm -hmm. in both the primary and the general election in 2016 and the state of pennsylvania doesn't have records to verify that um in fact as i said the book which came out she was it came out in 2020 and reportedly she may have written large chunks of it earlier but in the back of the book it says she lives in virginia so when did she move to pennsylvania well she says it was a uh, typo uh, and that it was, she never lived in Virginia. She said that on a radio interview. I will tell you that one of our reporters at Delaware Valley Journal was at her headquarters in the Philly suburbs uh, as the news was breaking, and they are rock solid with her, getting her back. They are shrugging this stuff off. And one of the things that is helping her uh, shrug this off, two, I think two things. Uh, one is some of the charges, like you mentioned, are just made up. Like they're taking stuff clearly out of context. and They're editing it weird. And once you start faking stuff, it lets supporters say it's all fake. And then the second thing that's hurt is her supporters don't trust the mainstream media's reporting because they watched how the mainstream media covered Trump. And even if you hate Trump, you have to admit that they didn't do their job. They budged a lot of facts. They treated them in a way that was intentionally misleading. And so you add those together and the Barnett folks are like, hey, she's great. I don't care what you people say and I can dismiss you and have no problem. One last you know, really good example of this. And it's, there is a great irony to this is that, you know, one of the reasons Trump is saying that, uh, uh, people should not uh, support Barnett is, quote, she has many things in her past which have not been properly <laughs> explained or vetted, much like my tax returns. Oh, I'm sorry, he didn't say that last part. Yeah. Uh, one I, I, was last question. For, uh, I was waiting for Trump to denounce her for having anti-Muslim views. That Amazingly, that didn't happen. Uh, maybe they got uh, stopped at the border early in his presidency. Um, last question, and this is the most profound question, straight out of Pennsylvania politics where you're looking at a race for governor where state senator doug mastriano has gone as you know, his strategy has been go as far to the left to the right as you can uh, as we talk he's leading the polls you've got this you know fight in the senate race where kathy barnett and you know trump's back you know you've got a, a move to the right you could have two nominees 
neither of whom has gotten even 30% of their own party's support. Isn't it insane to not have a runoff election in primaries? Isn't that just patently insane to not make you get at least 50% plus one of your own party's support? Yeah, I think these are the cases they're going to make state parties say, you know what, maybe we maybe we do want to have a runoff. Um, How do you know? Georgia has always had them. I think Louisiana has them for their general elections. And yeah, most other that. states have them. You know, I, I used to run campaigns for living. My specialty was Republican primaries. And mm-hmm. across the South, where the primary usually picked the final person back when Democrats ran everything, they had primaries basically as a general, and they always had a runoff. You had to get 50%. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Look, some years you're only going to have one or two candidates running and it's going to be perfectly fine. And, sure. you know, whoever's going to win is going to win by a healthy margin. But I think, you know, it probably if you see candidates like this, if, I guess here's the, if the if Republicans lose because they nominated somebody who was only getting 20, 30 percent of the primary vote, then, yeah, I think you'll see that change come around pretty quickly. Well, you're an expert. What's the anti runoff argument? Like, Why not do it? Um, because a lot of years, if you end up with somebody gets 49.9% right. and then you get, you know, a whole bunch of other squibs with, you know, sure. 20 some, then it looks kind of ridiculous. You're doing a, you know, you're, it's a second vote, a cost expense time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but by and large, yeah, no, I think that you know, if, maybe if we're going to have bigger prime, you know, just bigger fields of candidates, it just makes sense to say, Hey, you know what, you know, we don't want somebody with a small minority, just having the largest plurality being the nominee, you got to demonstrate broader support. And this is, you know, that's the way to do it. Well, I am a broad supporter of Jim Garrity, his outstanding work at National Review. And I like him so much. I even tolerate his podcast every day. Three Martini Lunch. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Always enjoy it, Michael. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, Sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.